take over doubt, we gon' make it Show the world that I shine in our greatness Keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Taking off, flying high like a spaceship Take control, take a shot Alright everybody, welcome back This is Danny from Shake the Earth Podcast Episode, is this 15, Landon? 15 Episode 15, holy smokes, it's gone by fast This is actually a really cool episode We've got uh, Mindy Robbins Mindy, you're an, an actor yes. You are a mom An entrepreneur An instructor just in talking to you, you're a visionary. You have a pretty big purpose, I think. Ah, oh, thanks. And started entertaining and dancing at the age of four, which is really young. Did you know at an early, early age that you, that's what you wanted to do? Yes. How did you cool. get introduced to it? Well, I was born, my parents were 45 when I was a surprise, born 16 years after my closest sister, 20 and 24 were the other two. So you so. were the caboose by a long time. Yeah, so it was like a second family. And my parents actually met in high school, and they were able to go to Springville High, which was a part of the Springville Art Museum, if you've ever been there. I have, actually. And it instilled a love of art in my parents. And so by the time that they were 45, they had more time, and they belonged to every theater around town, the Sarah, the Hale, BYU, the Capitol Theater. And so we were going to place all the time, every weekend, Friday, Saturday, sometimes matinees. Like I just was exposed to musical theater and singing and I loved it. My mom loved it. Which is so interesting because I, before this, I was telling you how I was not <laughs> exposed to it. And it's, and it, I think a lot of it was accessibility because I grew up in a really small town, uh, farming community, but it was, it was just, just wasn't something you did. We did a lot of sports and we did a lot of outdoor activity, but so at an early, early age, you you really were exposed to the arts and performing arts and dancing. And yeah. uh, do you, at the age of four, do you remember like going into your, your first dancing lessons? and Vaguely at four, yeah. I mean, I have, it was buttons and bows. And then at six, I started private lessons. And I remember that really clearly. And then years later, you're performing on the, the Broadway tour. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah, when I was a primary student, they asked me to write down my dream. And I don't know exactly how old I was, but I'm guessing by my handwriting, maybe nine or 10. And I wrote to be in a Broadway show. That would be amazing. And I was able to see Les Miserables, the touring company in San Francisco with my parents. I have a picture of me with my mom and dad, and they bought me a Cosette doll, and I was probably 10. And then at just barely 20, I got cast in the same company. No And way. I joined some of the same cast members. No way. Two cast members were in my cast that I had seen when I was 10. So, so that is cool. Like you literally wrote down your goal. Mm -hmm. You, I want to be on Broadway. And you, within 10, 11 years, you're, you're on Broadway. Yeah, in that very show, in the very cast. How crazy is that? Like, How, I remember like, seeing her, the, the Eponine, yeah. Candace Marchese, and she's actually from Utah, too. And I remember sitting in the balcony and thinking at 10 years old, I want to be that. I want to do that. And that's, that is the that role is I understudied. Yeah, That's wild. That's rare, though. Like, to be on Broadway is where you have to, A, you have to be really good. And then the time commitment is just extreme. How did your parents help you get to that point? I mean, I'm assuming they did. Oh, absolutely. They were so supportive. So, you know, lessons of every kind. So dance yeah. and voice and um, acting and performing groups and places. And they were so supportive growing up and then supported me in a collegiate degree. I went to BYU in music, dance, theater. And I performed professionally before the Broadway tour. I performed. Where, was that here in Utah or where was that? Well, my first professional job was Lagoon at 16. Oh, no way. Yeah, I did a couple seasons in the summer of that. And then I got hired at Walt Disney World as a singer-dancer. Okay. 
and I spent like 15 months there during my college education. I came back for not quite a semester and I got hired for Les Mis and then I left for a year and a half and then I had to come back again. So my college degree was, a lot of it was on the road and a lot of it was independent study and BYU was great to work with. And so I was actually only on campus about two and a half years and then I did the rest touring and performing. How does that work? Like you have to be good, but there also has to be like a pipeline into these these production, either companies or organizations where it's like, okay, we're looking for someone to play this role. You have all of the United States and all the world to Mm -hmm. pick from. Like, how do you get picked? Gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the industry, but they do what's called a cattle call. Do you know what a cattle call is? No, but it sounds It's pretty rough. Yeah. So when I auditioned for Les Mis in Salt Lake, there were 800 people from Utah that came to the audition. But they don't have time to see 800 people, so they line you up, and they just, by look, without saying a word or without singing a word, they just go, stay, go, stay, go, stay, stay, no stay, way. go. So you first they have really to be... They really do judge a book by the cover. Yes. Because they're looking for specific roles, yeah. right? A specific look, a specific time period. And so I got typed in, so that me- meant I was able to sing. And I actually auditioned first when I was 16. And they asked me how old I was, and I said 16, and they said, we can't even hire you right now. So they said, go home and grow up and call us back when you're 18. So I auditioned again when I was 18, and I had some hard lessons to learn, actually, in that audition, and totally failed miserably, and made a really good decision to call the Broadway casting director after, which is really faux pas. And he was great. He picked up the phone and just said, Mindy, you've got to learn to tell a story and not just sing a song. Mm. So the Broadway director was there and I wasn't listening and he was telling me all about Fontaine. They'd thrown me for a loop anyway in the audition because I was auditioning for Eponine, but they gave me Fontaine and he was giving me all this history, this Broadway director. Do you think they did that to kind of throw you off to see what you would do? Yes, totally. They want you out of your comfort zone. And you didn't respond well, you think? No, I failed. Like... Totally failed. So what they wanted to see, because my voice, and they said this, your voice passed to be in the show when you were 16. Mm. So they wanted to take my voice away and see what remained. Mm. And so they gave me the hardest part of the show, like incidental after incidental to read. And I couldn't, like musically, I I just kept thinking, how am I going to sing this? How am I going to sing this? And the Broadway director is there telling me about Fontaine. She's on the streets. She's starving. She's had to sell her body. She had a child out of wedlock. She doesn't even have the child anymore. And I don't hear a word of what he's saying. And when it comes time for me to actually do it, I'm just worried about the notes instead of the story. And I, as I called this casting director, he's like, you could have just spoken it. Monsieur, don't mock me now, I pray. It's hard enough I've lost my pride. And I would have booked my Broadway tour or Broadway gig, but I didn't. I was focused on being perfect and singing it perfectly. And so when I called him, he's like, you've got to tell a story instead of sing a song. So he's like, go work on it and come back. And so I, I went to Disney and I got some awesome experiences working at Disney World. Cause there's no way you're gonna be able to fool a five-year-old girl. No. At Disney. No. They can tell. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah, and then I came back and right when I left Disney, Salt Lake, they were here again for Les Mis. I went back and auditioned and I was 19 in the audition and I booked my Broadway tour at 20. So third time is a charm. It was it for me. Three times, right? Yeah, and it just goes to show you if you fail the first time, keep going. Keep going back. 
You know, it's never going to be perfect. Was that gut-wrenching, like, the second time? Because realizing when he says you were that close to being able to make it. For sure. I walked out immediately when I sang it. I just, I knew that I had missed the mark. And I wanted it so badly that I broke the rules and called him and went to work again, you know? So that's a no-no. You don't call. No. They have no time for 800 people from every city to call and find out why they didn't make it. Does that burn relationships? It could. It was a major gamble. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but it for almost, me, it worked. But to, but to me, it kind of is like that scrappy fighter like mentality of like, look, I am good I'm, I, and I want to be good. kind of shows that you're not going to give up very easily, which you didn't because in the end it worked. It did. But it was a gamble. It was totally a gamble. So how long were you on the Broadway tour? 15 months. And I actually planned to stay longer, but the truth is the road is pretty hard. Mm. It's eight shows a week, and I loved my cast. I was with some amazing people. I joined the tour in Canada with Cole Wilkinson, who was the original. Mm -hmm. I know you're not a music theater person. I have heard of his name, though. But he was the original Valjean Mm -hmm. on Broadway and in London, and he's the man. And then I also understudied Sutton Foster, who continued to like be a Broadway star and win lots of Tony Awards. And now she's in a huge TV show called Younger that's on right now. But anyway, so I, I got to work with some phenomenal people. And the cast is wonderful. And they're amazing. You, you actually become a family with these people because you spend so much time with them, right? Yes, so much time. But what I couldn't do is go to church. Uh, and yeah. it, I had two shows a day, and it was hard for me to find a chapel. This was like literally the internet had just come out. So trying to go online and find out where a ward is or take a cab to get there and then go face two shows, it just stopped happening, and I kind of... Now, you were still single this time yeah, because you're still pretty young. Did you find that like the environment, people wanted to help you on your cast? Like you have, you have some of these individuals who are just super popular. Everybody knows their names. Was it, was it an attitude of like, don't bother me, or, hey, I see you're hungry and you're working hard. I was there before. Was it very supportive, or what was it like? Really supportive, for the most part. You always have, just like anything in life, few people that aren't the happiest of people. But most people in the world are good and kind and supportive. And I felt that, but it was just such a change to my upbringing and my own culture, and there were things about my life that I hadn't seen or hadn't known, and I was exposed to different ways of living, different choices, and I did just about lose myself. And so I woke up one day and just thought, if I don't leave, I may be gone. And I don't mean gone like gone. I mean have lost who I am and and my faith and what was important to me. Did people think you were crazy when you were like, hey, I'm kind of done? Yeah, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my family. I just called New York and said, I've, I've got to put in my two weeks. And then that day on the board, it was like, the role of Mindy Smoot will be replaced by this person. Just like that. In two weeks, and then I was gone, yeah. And I came home and, did they? Know, did anybody try to like stop you or convince you or? Oh, it's too late. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Like, There's once no you make that back. decision, it's like, <laughs> yeah. do you think that, I mean, how did that affect your career? Well, I was able to keep my faith. So it affected my life. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. My marriage, my family, my... So as I look back, it's one of... It's a crucial time and a crucial decision in my life. Most people would say, you know what, that was like, that's like a death sentence. If you want to be a performer, you want to be an actress, whatever it might be, you don't don't back out of opportunities like that because most people don't. Yeah. It became clear that the life that I wanted to live was in jeopardy if I stayed. So... So what'd you do after that? 
you came, came back home. I looked my amazing dad in the eyes and told him that I didn't know if God existed and didn't know what to believe. And he do you said, think, do you think part okay. of, do you think part of that was because of the last 15 months? Oh yeah, totally. Not being able to, you know, practice religion, go to church or I just, just it's slow. Like I just lost myself and he was great. He was amazing and said, that's okay. And let's start again. And so I did, I started again and have rebuilt. And I'm actually really glad for that defining moment for me in my faith. So I look back at that with gratitude. What year was that? Do you remember? Yes. 2000 and 2000, February of 2000 is when I left. It's interesting that you had the wherewithal to, to make that decision, but up until right now, I would have thought your faith is stronger. That's why you're doing it. But it was actually probably at its lowest point. Yeah, it didn't. There was an inkling left enough of an inkling to say, look, if you continue, it will be gone. It's like it felt like a light inside of me that was just getting more, that just more was more getting advanced. dimmer. Yeah. And if I stayed, it would just be blown out. And it's hard, regardless of your denomination in this industry, it is hard to remain faithful. It just is. And so it takes sacrifice and it's worth it. That's amazing. You kind of have this this crisis of faith and you come back and then you, what do you do? Well, now I come back and get back into school at BYU okay. and try to find myself again. And I start dating and I also performed at Tuacon. That was my first season at Tuacon in tu- 2001. And, and for those that don't know, Tuacon is in Southern Utah. It's, it's about, I don't know if you know where St. George is, but it's very close to that area. And it's a, it's a natural amphitheater. It's out in the, the Red Rock, the Red Stone. It's an incredible venue, incredibly beautiful. And they do a lot of big productions out there. They do. They're, they're now in the top 10 regional theaters in the United States. It's a phenomenal place. It is. It's been a, that has been an incredible relationship and blessing in my life. So when you come back, do people know who you are because you've been on Broadway and it's pretty rare? Or it, no, does music it... theater people are never famous. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who I am and I like it like that. It's just fine. <laughs> okay. So you go to school, start dating. It, it, do you get married at this point? No, my dream is still, my eyes are still set on New York City and a Broadway, a Broadway tour is still a Broadway credit, but it's a Broadway tour credit. And I, in my mind, I really just had those 10-year-old eyes set on New York City. And so I wanted to graduate quickly. And then after my Tuacon contract was over, I was planning to move to the city. So I had an um, apartment contract and I had roommates. Wow. I had a plane ticket. You had it planned. Oh yeah, I was set, I was going. There was nothing keeping me here. And then? And then I felt sick about it all summer long. Just what I call like for me, I feel a pit and it just feels ugly and wrong and gross. And then I did everything I could to like deny it, it, rationalize it. it. Yeah. Push it away, ignore it. And by golly, I could not conquer this pit. So the day before I was supposed to fly out September 10th, I was flying on a red eye, September 10th, 2001, 2001. And I, on, on September 10th, Ninth, I called JetBlue and said, I've got to cancel. And I called my friends and said, I'm so sorry. I have no reason to not come, but I just, I can't come. And then I woke up to a phone call the morning of September 11th. And my mom's like, turn on the TV. I turned it on and there the World Trade Center is, has been hit. And 
collapsing. And I would have been in, I would have arrived in JFK right around like 6.30 a.m. And so who knows where I would have been in the city on that day. But I did, I looked at that and I thought, well, my first thought was, first of all, devastating Mm -hmm. for America and just heart-wrenching and scary, right? And then I thought, well, maybe that's why I felt this pit. (laughs) But as I continued down that road, I was like, no, it's not, it's not just this. There's something else. Something else. Like Heavenly Father has, this is just not feeling right. So I started praying like, okay, maybe I should get a master's degree in architecture, or interior design. That's maybe a huge. That's kind of a big departure from Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to live a lot of lives. I want to come back and do a lot of things. Like, I just need more time. You love the experience. Yes. You love experiencing a bunch of things. Yeah. So I started praying, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll go do film in L.A. Maybe I'll go to Japan. I always wanted to go to Japan and perform. They always had an open door at Disney. Come back and work anytime. I'll go work at Disney in Japan. Or I'll buy a house in Provo, Utah. I was number five. <laughs> <laughs> and just buy a house. I'll just buy a house in Provo. And I'll, like an old house, and I'll fix it up. And guess what? That's the only thing I didn't have a pit about. Buying a house in Provo. The city what? I had been raised in. Really? Yes. I now graduated. I had a Broadway credit under my belt. I had a regional credit under my belt. I don't have a boyfriend. I had met my husband. But I didn't know it. Usually when people realize that they're not going to accomplish something, they feel kind of this level of sadness. Did you feel like, it doesn't feel good and that makes me feel sad that I probably won't ever obtain that? Did, For did sure. you feel that? Yeah. Like loss? Disappointed, like almost disappointed in myself, thinking, hmm. why? Like I have worked my life to get to this point and I have nothing holding me back. There's nothing keeping me. Because you're in your prime. Yeah. You're young. Degree, you got everything. education, credits. Credits, yeah, you, you could go do it. Yeah, what on earth? Why would I want to stay here? So I felt, I've, to be honest, I probably, as I look back, felt a little disappointed, like in my, even in God, like why? Yeah. Why, why this pit? It's not fair. Like, I want to go. Why keep me here? But what I didn't know is I had met my husband. I didn't like him. At the time? <laughs> no. Does he know that? Yes. Bless his heart. Yeah. I I thought he was handsome, but I had misinterpreted who he was. I had had a wrong impression. And, and he needed a number, another chance. Yeah. He needed lots of chances. And thank heaven he kept trying. <laughs> and so I, you know, finally decided, all right, I'll buy a house. God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll buy a house in Provo and stay here my whole life. And Kind of begrudgingly. Yes. Kind of like, all right, fine. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I started looking for a house and my husband called me for the last time because he was done with my lack of interest. And I saw his name on my phone. I was like, well, I might as well have nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> my life's ruined. Hello. And so I was like, I'm going to look for a house if you want to come with me. And he came with me and instantaneously in that experience, my impression I realized was wrong. I'd known him for months and we'd actually dated on and off for months, but I had been wrong. And it was quick from there, embarrassingly quick, how it all turned around. And really within six weeks, we were engaged. And within about seven weeks, we moved into the house that we had picked out together. Wow. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. But I look back at that and I'm so grateful that 
I, I think Heavenly Father knew for me, my dream and my passion was so strong and so focused. And I'd worked so hard that had I met him, my husband, and loved him and thought, yes, I'm going to get married and I can't pursue my dream anymore, that maybe would have rocked my soul. But yeah. because instead it happened backwards, I chose to stay home. Yeah. I chose to buy, to buy a house in Provo. And so for that reason, I'm grateful because I look back at that and I know it was Heavenly Father's the, plan. The sequence happened in the way that would best accommodate you and him. Yeah, in my heart and soul to deal with that, you know. And I've never, I can, t- I can tell you this honestly, in, we've been married 17 years. And in all of those years, not one time have I ever regretted that most crucial decision to stay here, to marry. He's, he is the best. I have the best husband. So grateful for him. And I'm grateful we have four beautiful children. And that, to me, is everything. And then all this other amazing stuff I get to do, that's just icing on my family cake. And Which so, all these other things that you get to do now, you've, you've taken that experience. You've taken your credentials. You've taken all of really the last 20 years of performing and I think this is awesome, and I want to talk about this. You started a, a, a company called COPA. Yeah, Utah COPA. And, and you do, tell us what you do. So it stands for Conservatory of Performing Arts. And actually, our partners are some of our very best friends, Nathan and Susie Balser, and my husband. And the four of us are owners, and we run it together. We now have three locations. And you tell me, how many kids do you... I think, you know, I don't keep track of this number very well, but I think we're up to about 800 and we have about 80 employees. 800 kids and 80 employees. Yeah, and we are now in three locations. So we partnered with Tuacon and we have a program there that's brand new this year in their amazing facilities. And then we have our mothership, which started here in American Fork, and we're about 12 years into that now. And then we have our second location is in Draper and it's in its third year. And, And you said you love... You got your hands so full. You perform at Tuacon still. You obviously teach and you uh, you own your business. You've got your four kids and family. But you you said something before that is that you love what you do because you feel like you have a, a bigger purpose than just owning a dance studio. And I want you to tell because you were you were telling me about what you do with these kids. You go above and beyond just providing instruction. So. Our goal as owners, as we've realized, to be honest, as we first started it, the goal was to train them. Mm-hmm. So we specialize in music, dance, theater, pop, youth theater. We have all these arms and programs. And, and when I started, I thought, I want to give the best training. I want to prepare these kids so that they can you know, pursue their own dreams. But you know, 12, 13 years into this now, it has become so much more clear that the mission is to help kids gain confidence and stand a little taller and face their trials a little better, even if they never walk out the door wanting to do musical theater or pop music or theater or dance. If they come into our building and they walk out with their head held a little higher, Mm -hmm. their shoulders back, they are a little stronger to handle what they face in school, what they face at home, what they face inside their soul, that's what we do. So our new slogan is where young things grow. And my partner and I, Susie, we were in New York last year. We go every year and we take our oldest kids to perform with Broadway stars on a Broadway stage. And they get an off-Broadway credit with Broadway directors. It's amazing. And we go see Broadway shows. Is that because of like relationships you have or is that a program that people can do? 
We got invited, especially wow. invited by a company to join. And we joined about 200 students from across the world that participate in this event every year. And That's it cool. is, it's amazing. It is like you sit there and pinch yourself thinking this can't be real. And we go see Broadway shows and we saw Hello, Dolly with Bernadette Peters, who's a big Broadway star. And at the end, she's talking about how she's ready to move on in her life. Her husband's passed away and she's speaking to him. And she's saying, you always told me that money isn't worth anything unless you spread it around like manure to help <laughs> things grow. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. I want, I want to spread it. Originally, I didn't want another location. My husband's the one that was like, we should, we should open another Copa. And originally I was like, oh my gosh, my plate's so full. I have four kids. I've got, you know, this business that takes up a lot of time, my own teaching, you know, my plate doesn't really have room for more. And he was like, well, maybe, maybe it isn't about your plate. <laughs> maybe it's about other people. Maybe it's about these kids. And think of the lives, think of the lives we can bless, the employees that can participate and use their talents to help others, the children that can walk in. And I mean, we hear all the time from parents and kids. I had a kid say to my face last month, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for COPA. And that is why we do it. So the more we spread that, like manure, <laughs> yeah. Across, the more lives we can bless, the more kids we can truly save and help find their gifts, find their joy, find their journey, the better it will be. So that's why we now have this goal to spread. Did you ever foresee yourself as being an entrepreneur? No. I mean, I always wanted to teach. Yeah. I always wanted to, um, and we even talked with our partners. We performed at Tuacon together in okay. 2002 and became best friends, the four of us. And we said, let's, let's run a studio. But it wasn't like I thought to myself, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm gonna start a business. It all just kind of happened. And we actually have other really cool business things going on and I do love it. Like it is a part of me that I didn't even necessarily label or recognize. But it was, it was something in you that you, that kind of organically came about. Yeah, there's, I thank my father and my mother for this, but especially my dad, he just, he instilled in me two words that I'm so grateful for. I can. Mm. And I hear them all the time in my, in my head. So when a trial happens, when a bump in the road happens, when a vision happens, immediately, like, I don't feel myself defeated. Rarely ever. I think, and this is something I'm so grateful for. I think to myself, I can. I can do that. I can handle that. I can, oh, it's not that hard. I can do this. And so I'm grateful for the I can part of my soul and myself. And that's something I'm trying to give to these students. I, I assume that, I mean, you, you run a pretty successful business. It does really well, but you're at a point, you know, before we pressed record on this, you said, I don't really care about money. I, yeah, like, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't care about money. If I, the funny thing is like, you have to define how our business is doing well because financially we just invest it. Yeah. We're not making a lot of money it's pretty tight to be honest. Like we just put, we just partnered with Odyssey dance theater and we just put a lot of our money that we had like kind of protected and put away into a new building. Reinvesting <laughs> yeah. and reinvesting. We just started a new studio cause we needed a new space. And so we, I, I am never, thank heaven. I'm never driven by money. Um, the only reason I want money is so that we can spread it and like literally manure. I can give it away. <laughs> if God, if I could plant a money tree, I would give it, I would give it all away because I don't care about it. It's not something like you take with you, right? I want to, I want to give back 
and I do, I, I say to my Father in Heaven all the time, I just I'll dedicate my talents to giving back. That's all I care about. So anytime I have the opportunity to do that, I'll jump. That's why I came here. <laughs> so before we started recording, you, you got emotional again talking about kids and like the trials that kids are going through in this day and age with social media, trying to be perfect, and the role that you you strongly feel that you can impact these kids for for positive by helping them realize that there is no such thing as perfection. Yes. So I feel like there's just little nuggets that come as I can help guide these students. And we started last year what we called the journey to joy. And it's not mandatory and it's not denominationally based. I have we have kids from all different faiths, um, kids that are agnostic, kids that are atheist, kids that are, you know, belong to different religions and a lot of LDS because that's where we live. But we come together and we went on this journey to joy last year. But this year I felt like as I'm pondering what joy is and this goal, like I read the book, let's see, the book of joy. Okay. And it is wonderful. And he and it's the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Desmond mm-hmm. Tutu and a Jewish author. And this like Christian and Buddhist and Jewish man, they come together and they discuss joy. And they say this, the one commonality, we have a lot of commonalities, but one of the major commonalities in the human race is joy. We're all seeking to be joyful, not even happy, but to, to find and live in joy, right? So this pursuit of joy. So I started to think, how can I help these kids? Because kids are where we teach. I teach a lot of private students. I raise four. They have friends. And we've got 800 that I oversee, right? <laughs> kids are struggling. Depression is higher. ADHD is higher. Anxiety is higher. Suicide rates. I read a book called iGen, which I highly recommend. iGen. iGen. Do you know who it's by? I can't remember the author, but she's like a psychiatrist or psychologist pardon me, I take the gist of things. And she's studied adolescents the last 30 years and asked them a lot of the same questions. And then she brought in all these additional surveys from the World Health Organization, just data after data. Mm-hmm. And you can study these charts and in t- like kind of seeing how adolescents do um, in depression and anxiety and work ethic and confidence. And um, in 2010 and 2011, suicide rates jumped. Do you know how high? 200%. Do you know what happened in the year 2010 and 2011? Smartphones. I was going to say phones. Smartphones in the hands of adolescents. So the brain, the way, and I study this a lot. I'm fascinated with so many different aspects of life, but the way the brain works, like the, the left brain and the right brain, they don't totally connect and the frontal cortex doesn't fully develop. Do you know how old for men? I'm probably still not there. <laughs> I think you've arrived <laughs> like 26. Really? Yeah. For women, for girls, it's like 23, 24. Wow. Until we're totally able. So one of the brains is the thinking brain. One of the brains is the rational, I'm sorry, thinking and feeling. So rational brain and feeling brain, emotional brain. What is higher in children? The emotional brain. The emotional side. Yeah. Because right? they can't, they don't So they can't filter. Well. They can't look at a perfect social media post of a popular girl in their school and it has a filter on it and it's perfect and, and, and she's at a party. That it's not reality. 
they aren't that rational brain does is not developed enough to be able to separate that hey i'm not invited to every party and that's okay and she probably has times that she feels sad too or she might have things about herself that she doesn't like either because social media paints this like i'm perfect my life is perfect i'm so popular and it is destroying children so Colin Karchner is my new hero. I haven't met him yet, but he lives right here. Yeah. And um, I went to one of his. We got to have him on. Landon. You totally should. That is, I, I stamped that 150%. He is on a mission. His hashtag save the kids is phenomenal. And I started on that soapbox. And to be honest, it's not a popular soapbox, but I don't no, care. No, it isn't. Uh-uh. Because you're going against parents. For Some sure. parents that want to just, here's a kid, here's a phone. I'm going to give you the phone because I don't have time to sit down with you entertain you you're rebelling as a teenager here's a phone and they provide to him this gateway to depression and anxiety and insecurities and imperfections and i i 100 agree with you i have a nine-year-old and they're at that age where it's like mom or dad my friend has a iphone and i'm like you're nine mm-hmm. what do you need a phone for right and so we're, we're very hesitant to to even look down that way i've only seen negative things happen yeah my 13 year old we have a flip phone and that's what we'll which probably Which is a dumb keep. phone, which is a great thing. Oh, it's so great. He, yeah. He's not proud of it, and it gets hidden, and we just have it for when we need to call, and he can text the old school way, like yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F. <laughs> <laughs> Takes him forever to text, and I love it. I love it. So my you kid- get to see, I mean, you get to see a lot of kids going through a lot of things from different backgrounds, different, different upbringings, and it's a common denominator that kids with technology at their fingertips don't know how to harness that power. They don't. And... It's so easy to be unkind. So cyberbullying is huge, and kids just aren't ready for it. So they, I see them, and when they walk into our building and they're taking classes and they're building their confidence and they're developing their God-given talents, they're not on their phones. They're not being bullied. They're yeah. in a safe environment where Everybody's they're being the built same. up. Everybody's the same, right? They Equal come in ground. And they, they come in with their gear on, and they you have to focus on the next hour of being with people face-to-face, talking, interacting. Eye contact, yeah. speaking to each other. So much is just done via text that they're not dating as much. So I get together It's with this not mandatory, just whoever wants to come group of our company kids, junior high and high school, once a month. And this year we're on a journey to becoming whole, so journey to whole. And every month we choose a different perspective of trying to become joyful people. So September, we were working on perspective. And we played super fun games. Like I put in a bunch of different scenarios that they run into in their lives into a mug. And we pulled up a positive person and a negative person. And they pulled out a scenario out of the mug. And it might be like, I failed my math test at school. And they had to, and because these are music theater and performers, they have to act it out, right? So the negative person has to be like, ah, my teacher sucks. Mm -hmm. He hates me. I can't learn anything in this class. This is his problem, right? And, you know, I'll never be good. I'm not smart enough to succeed. And all those negative thoughts that we tell ourselves. And then the positive person comes up and goes, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to go to school early tomorrow morning. I'm going to see what I did wrong. My teacher's great. I know he cares about me. He's dedicating a ton of time. I'll do better. I'll work harder. I'll try harder. And trying to teach these kids like how to look at things from a bigger perspective. The glass half full of the glass empty. And are you and one of the things I've learned that I love is that happiness doesn't come from how much water is in our cup, but what we think about how much water is in our cup. 
And so trying to teach kids, and then we use the whole month to think about perspective. And when we come back together in October, we're getting together this Sunday, they'll come back together and we'll say, okay, tell me your perspective experiences. What did you run into? Were you able to change the way you think? And then we'll introduce our new pillar as we go on this journey to becoming whole. How, how many kids do you have coming? Um, every Sunday can vary a little bit, but in between like 30 to 50. Wow. But my goal is to build it, build it, build it. Like I want to get as many kids there. And then after we discuss, we have like 15 minutes where we discuss, well, let's be honest, probably like 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. Um, we also sing a song that has to do with perspective or humor or whatever. And we're going to do a fireside at the end of the year, which I think will be really that cool. That's cool. And non-denominational, I told you we have people Anybody of all faith. Come. Yes. And I want to sing all different types of songs. Most people just talk about problems. You're talking about a problem, you're seeing it, you're addressing it, you're using every asset, resource, talent that you have, and you're throwing that at the problem. Yeah, I really genuinely want to help kids. We have, well, I love what Colin Cartersnet says. He says, we're going to look back at this time like we do with pregnant women smoking. Yeah. And insane. go, what Are you on earth what were, were we thinking? thinking? Yeah. What were we thinking? Handing this like untapped, unmonitored device to children. And so I, I honestly see it as an epidemic, and I see it as a major cause. It's not the only cause, but it is a major cause in um, hurting kids and their self-esteem and their confidence. So I'm doing everything I can to educate in that way. I've stood on that soapbox for years now about devices and social media for kids, but also trying to give them tools to handle bullying, to handle perspective, to talk. We talked about social media was one of the things we pulled out of the jug because it's real and taking a phone away from kids is hard. So tough. My advice to younger moms is don't do it. Don't go there. Don't give your kids smart devices. Flip phones are so cool. So, because it really is devastating. That's incredible. So just to tie up, Mindy Robbins, she's on the Shake the Earth podcast. She starts out dancing, performing. You end up on Broadway tour over years. Your, your mission and vision changes to helping kids in need, understand their worth, battling kind of this, this fake image of, of perfection on, on social media. What, what a transitional life. Like, have you looked back and said, holy smokes, I would never have thought this is where I was going to end up. I don't know, because I think it just feels so right that I never question how or where, like what brought me here. Does that make sense? Like when you live it every step of the way, you're like, yeah. And you also feel like you were guided, right? I mean, you, you talked a lot about feeling those prompts and those, those uh, thoughts to, to do certain things in your life. I always ask this at the end of every interview. And there's so many things that you've done. And so you can apply it to maybe your dance or your career. But what made you think that you can do it? And you kind of answer that. You always had this attitude of I can. But, but really, what made you think I can do that? Gosh, that, like I said, that's been a, something that I'm so grateful for in my life. It's just that those words I can. I've never felt otherwise. And because maybe that's a gift or because it was instilled by parents who believed in me, I think my dad is the most complimentary and kind and supportive. And my mom was too. My mom passed away a couple years ago. But my dad, like, he's at every Matilda show he can be at, starting the standing ovation, just loving and praising that it instilled this, like, my opportunities are endless. If I set my mind to something and if I feel like I should do it, by golly, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. And I am grateful for that. 
I want to give that to kids. I want, I want them to feel those words. I can. I'm a believer. Anything is possible if you let it happen and if you work for it. I love that. I want to have you on again because I want to hear how this plays out with your, your firesides. And I want to see, I want to see the result of it because I think you're going to see some pretty amazing things as kids realize their self-worth. I hope so. That's the goal. Everybody, this was Mindy Robbins, entertainer, actress, entrepreneur, mom. You're an earth shaker as well. If you love what you're hearing, leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Check us out on the next episode and shake the earth. <laughs>